Welcome to What I Wish I Knew by Dental Head Start, your weekly mentoring session thanks to cpdjunkie.com.au. Hey everyone, this is Chidam Capel from Principal Practice Management Software. Today we are talking about CEREC on this episode of What I Wish I Knew. Dr. Alistair Graham is one of the trainers in actually one of the most popular CEREC courses in Australia. He only started uh, CEREC himself not that long ago, but quickly excelled in not just the clinical side of the prepping, the designing, the milling, but also how he incorporated the workflows into his daily practice. So today we get down into the basics of CEREC. We talk about how to get started and what kind of cases we can get started with. The things we should be focusing on and how it differs between conventional uh, dentistry and CEREC dentistry. And of course, he sees a lot of common pitfalls um, that beginners face. So he talks a little bit about how to overcome those or, or avoid them in the in the first place. One of my favorite parts of this podcast is he very generously shares um, the practical side of the appointment workflow. You know, lots of people are like, what am I meant to be doing while my uh, CEREC is in the furnace for 15, 20 minutes? And, um, you know, people do all sorts of things, but he shares with us his workflow. But to start with, he describes how he got started with CEREC in the first place. Look, I was a relative latecomer to CEREC. I mean, I knew about it and I've been sort of aware of it for many years. I started my CEREC journey about 2016, so really an Omnicam days. Um, software 4. Uh, 4.4, 4.3, I think. I can't remember exactly. Um, yeah, so I went through a renovation of my practice at the same sort of time. And I just thought, Riley, at that time, I was sort of slowly getting into sort of the digital world. And I thought, you know, well, I've heard so much about um, the CEREC and the CEREC workflow. And I sort of did a bit of research. I looked at, a, you know, ways to differentiate myself and my practice um, and looked at it. I mean, previously, I'd always thought of it as just this massively expensive piece of kit that um, just somehow replaces your, you know, your PVS impression material. And that's really it. So your saving is only ever going to be on, you know, maybe some lab bills and, you know, maybe some PVS. Um did a bit of research, did some sort of talk to some colleagues and sort of made the jump um, in uh, around about that time and didn't look back. Honestly, it was, a, it was amazing to, to see. I did the, um, some courses. Um, so straight away, I just thought, look, if I'm going to be doing this, I need to really be jumping in with both feet and actually really immerse myself in this. So I did some courses as well while I was fresh to it. And I just thought, you know, if I'm doing this, do it properly, learn from the best, learn from the people. So I did, you know, Lawrence Lau's course, um, and it was it was fantastic. First posteriors, and then I went back and did anterior courses, and it was really good. I mean, I just started doing more and more cases, and yeah, unfortunately, there's no substitute for getting in there and doing it, and you know, doing the cases. You know, keep that PVS impression sort of sitting at the back of the cupboard just in case, because you can always pull out and send it to the lab just in case. So I was never bullish enough to just you know throw away all my my PVS. Um, 
And I loved it. I got better and better. Um, and I soon discovered actually the best thing about it. And I think the thing that I love about it is that it actually makes you a better dentist. You get the instant feedback um, absolutely straight away that, you know, you can see why this ground doesn't fit, why it's never going to fit, why this inlay is the wrong shape. It's why this may have broken, you know, you've, you've violated minimum thickness, for example. You know, you can see this straight away. So, you know, you need to change the way that you, you prep. You need to change the way you understand and look at your prep design and look at uh, your crowns. And so for me, it was a, it was a, it was like I had a tutor in house all day, um, just sort of you know a very giving me feedback one. on my work. Well, yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, I think you know, I think you know, if you're a harsh critic of your own work, I think it's, um, I think that's a good thing. Have you ever, uh, you know, looked down at your prep and thought, "Damn, that's a good prep," and then you take a scan of it and have a look at it on the screen and go, "Wow, I, do I have Parkinson's?" Yeah, honestly, I think on a daily basis, on a daily basis, <laughs> I think, I think, um, I mean, um, it's really good. Look, I, I, I mean, I now, I've now gone to the point where, you know, I've been invited to be a CEREC educator and, you know, so I help, you know, run the courses. And I've, I've said to many, you know, young dentists, when you start using CEREC and you start seeing your preps, um, you feel like you want to send a bottle of wine or a thank you gift to your technicians from uh, the work that you used to send them and uh, expect them to give you amazing crowns and so many times when you look at work that you did and you sort of go oh this lab is terrible oh my goodness and you start asking your colleagues do you know a better lab because my lab just gives me rubbish you realize it's not the lab that actually is giving you rubbish it's that you've supplied them with absolute terrible preps and you know no space you know terrible margins and these sorts of things so it was fantastic for me in that regard so look it was a you know instant feedback you know got me as a better you know better dentist and also this you know look for patients it is it's a game changer in the terms of you know you can in one visit, you can do everything. You know, the patient isn't having to go away, you know, and come back, have a second injection, um, take another bit of time off work. I love the fact that you can actually do the, the definitive work on that day. It's not, you know, you can, if you have space or time in your book and someone walks in with a broken tooth, you can do the definitive treatment there and then. You're not patching up. You're not doing, you know, something that, you know, I've just got time to do this. No, you're actually doing the gold standard work there and then for them. I mean, my, I think probably one of the, the moments for me that really changed my, um, you know, my feeling towards this was actually fairly early on. And I had a patient who um, came to me with a broken um, central incisor, upper central incisor, and they were on their way to a European holiday back in the days when we could all travel. And they, um, you know, they had to be at the airport in about sort of, you know, six hours time. And so I was actually able to do, you know, a, a crown for them straight away. And, you know, I wouldn't say, go as, as be as dramatic as say I saved their holiday but I certainly made their holiday a lot more uh, a lot more enjoyable and they could you know go to the airport sit that champagne in the lounge and uh, and relax because we did the work there and then so it was that instant feedback and that instant um, you know being able to sort of provide gold standard treatment immediately was you know absolutely wonderful for me yeah, I think there are so many advantages of chairside CAD CAM, but for those who've never used it before or perhaps they're in a practice where they have the scanner and, the, and a milling unit and they're just um, they're just very early in their journey, what 
um, advice would you have for them for selecting the right cases to mm. start with? So, you know, the one of the massive advantages of CAD-CAM is that you it's not just a traditional crown prep you can do. You can actually be a lot more flexible but, and more conservative, bi- biologically conservative. Um, so what would you advise what, what would your advice be for them? Where do you start? Look, start simple. I mean, I think it's with all things. Start simple and then go go further from there. So, you know, a simple full coverage crown, for example. I mean, I think probably the best first unit to ever do on a CEREC would probably be something like a, you know, a lower or an upper first molar, you know, that has been retreated, for example. You know, you've got keep that PVS impression material handy just in case you ever need to pull out and you need to just do that route. Do that first and you know, take your time, book lots of time, book way more time than you anticipate. It will take time. The software design, when you're new to it, will take time. And you know, once you know, you, you're given tips and you show how to do it, it cuts huge amounts of time. But just block off plenty of time. Don't have another patient breathing down your neck that uh, you need to, uh, you know, the reception is going to start uh, stressing about and telling you to hurry up and get that patient through. Start with something simple and then go from there. Do something that isn't too challenging and then push from there. At that point, you can start doing sort of, you know, simple, you know, one cuff coverage on lays and things like that. So really start slow, but then go forward. Another great tip I would say is once you've actually done a a single unit, a crown for example, keep that design and mill a new one for you, for yourself. And then when you have your own time, you have a bit of downtime, you can then use this crown and actually practice some staining and glazing on it. You can practice, you know, carving further anatomy into it without having to worry that this is a patient at the other end. You can just practice practice on, you know, a spare tooth. I mean, extracted teeth is another good way to do it, actually. We all have extracted teeth mounted in stone. Prep it yourself and then do it, you know, as as an exercise. That's a really good way to learn CEREC, you know, slowly, slowly. And attend courses. Just go to as many courses as you can. So, you know, there's plenty around who all who are willing to help. Yeah. So you're now a an educator for Serec. You help on the um, the Jumpstart course, I believe it's called. So the Jumpstart is run by uh, Densply Serona directly. I'm uh, I do a um, Serec Files um, course so with Lawrence Lau and uh, Eugene Lee. Perfect. So all of the best people in CEREC. So when you're teaching other students, what are the most, I guess, common mistakes that you see when students, are, whether mm. they're doing prepping or staining or glazing, what are the most common mistakes you see? I think the most common mistake I think is probably prep design is actually, you know, the preps aren't really up to the standard that, you know, they could be. And it's not saying that, you know, people, you know, inexperienced students are terrible. It's not that we see some amazing, you know, amazing hand skills. But there's a slightly different way to prep. Once you see that feedback from the software, you understand how it is that you need to prep and how it is you need to do it differently. And also, once you know that you've prepped correctly, you can then start manipulating the software and you can see you've got so much more to play with and so much more you can do with the software if your prep design is right. So really, that's probably the biggest thing from there. Staining and glazing and all of those sorts of things, you can essentially, you can um, rescue, if we want to call it that, afterwards if it's less uh, less than perfect, but really it all comes down to prep design. 
Yeah. Um, I think that when I look back on Cerex of mine that have failed or cracked, I'd say close to 100% of them were uh, they were a prep design issue. Yeah. Sharp internal line angles, not enough occlusal reduction. Oh, how many times do you think you've reduced enough and you ask the patient to close and you're like yep. scratching your head going, how? So Absolutely. Every time or use of you, you get your, uh, you ask for your proposal and you see this, uh, this blue ocean in the middle of the uh, occlusal anatomy and you're going, ah, minimum thickness violation. So yeah, absolutely. Prep design <laughs> is, is key. Okay. So any other um, tips on what, what's your go-to most common prep design you do, say for a full coverage um, molar? For a full coverage molar, really, I'm um, I'm using release of a chamfered margin, full sort of you know full chamfered margin, three sixty degree um, crown. I'm in terms of you know uh, material, for example, I still use a lot of Emacs. Um, I love the I love the material. I know you know it works well. I've, um, I'm starting to use a little bit more um, Tessera, which is a relatively new material. Um, I'm liking it so far. Um, we don't have the, the, the long-term data on it yet to sort of to really say that it's a, a superb material. But I'm certainly in, I'm certainly liking um, what I've done so far. I've probably done, I'm going to guess, probably about anywhere from about 40 to 60 units, maybe something like that of Tessera. And so far, so good. So I'm, I'm enjoying it so far. But previous to that, really, it's all it's almost almost always Emacs. And uh, yeah, for a, for a cover, full coverage crown. As dentists and dental students, we all have difficult days. You may experience workplace or training demands that have a direct impact on your physical, emotional and psychological health and well-being. This is exactly what dental practitioner support is for. It's a completely confidential and independently run service that's funded by the Dental Board of Australia in an effort to support practitioners and dental students right across the country. Sometimes people call just at the end of a long day to debrief. Sometimes they call because there's more challenging things going on. Dental practitioner support is there for you in these times to give proactive advice, help you improve your health and well-being before there are major concerns. We all need a helping hand sometimes and it's okay to ask for help. So if you find you need it, call 1-800-377-700 or visit the website dpsupport.org.au. They have loads of great information to get you started. What has been the difference with using Tessera for you compared to Emacs? Not a huge amount of difference. The the staining glazing is slightly different. Um, you the it can come up with a slightly sort of mottly appearance um, if you use too much stain and glaze. So it's just really a case of you just sort of be very you know, cautious with the staining and glazing. Just don't try and sort of cover it too much. Um, apart from that, it's actually has been relatively straightforward and relatively close to Emacs in terms of characteristics. So I think, you know, watch this space, but I think it could be uh, a good material. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Look, I get a lot of questions um, around what is the actual practical workflow for the appointment. One, how long do you book? When it's milling or in the furnace, do you see another patient? Do you take send the patient away? Do you? What do you do? We'll mm. ask that first, and then obviously the answer would be different for a beginner. 
Okay. Well, look for myself. What I do is I normally book, let's say, a you know a, a um, an onlay or a, a crown lay or you know sort of a, a CAD CAM a CAD CAM restoration. I'll normally book two hours, but I'll put a an hour of treatment um, followed by half an hour of um, blocked off, and I will see another patient at that point, and then half an hour at the end. So normally, what I'll do is I will you know, see the patient, do the prep, do the uh, the scanning, do the designing. And um, hopefully most of the milling in that hour. And after that, I'll get them in, try it on. I'll always try it on. I think the, the times that I've never tried it on prior to uh, to furnace is the time that it doesn't fit. And I've, I think this is going to be such an easy one. This is going to be fine. I don't need to fit it. It's going to go straight to the furnace. That's when it always goes wrong. So I'll always get them in and fit and just check the fit, check the occlusion, check the contacts, do all of that. And then at that point, I'll then you know do the uh, do the occlusal anatomy and the further refinements, and put it into the furnace. At that point, I know I've probably got twenty five minutes in the in uh, in the furnace. So at that point, usually I'll see another patient. I say usually, but again, my my uh, team know that it's usually something like a post operative. Um, it's certainly not a pulp extirpation of a lower molar or something like that. It's um, it's something that's going to be, you know, relatively straightforward and relatively stress free. So, you know, a consultation, a um, you know, a post op, um, something straightforward. And then at the end, that last half hour, I'll use for cementation and any further refinements or adjustments at that point. But I mean, that's my workflow. I know um, my colleague Eugene, um, um, who's also one of the educators. He he doesn't like to see another patient in between, and quite right. It's it's you know it's it's really you know depending on your own preference. Certainly for beginners, I would suggest definitely do not see another patient in the middle that patient will turn into a nightmare patient that will just overrun and then you've got double stress of everything going on. You've got you know, two patients in the chair essentially. So I would suggest really you know, block off at least two hours, I would say for a beginner, at least two hours. Um, you can always go faster. Um, you can always block less time later. And it's, it, it comes down to also with the workflow, a patient is never going to be too worried that you've you know you've you've got them out earlier than you were expecting and you're bringing in another patient maybe five minutes early that's no mm-hmm. one has ever complained about that however patients will complain quite rightly if you're 15 20 half an hour late for their appointment mm-hmm. and you've overrun you're stressed the nurse is stressed everyone's stressed so block plenty plenty time would be my my best piece of advice for uh, for beginners Yes, and ideally, if you um, have access to someone experienced in CEREC to Absolutely. help you. Absolutely. And like I say, having a mentor you know, close by is you know, hugely valuable. I mean, I, I've, I help a few other dentists in my, in my area. I've been known to actually run across the road and um, actually go into another practice and go and help out another practice. Um, I think I saw that on, on Instagram or Facebook <laughs> and someone was like, how lucky are they that they are in close proximity to you? You're amazing. It's 2021. We're used to cloud-based software enhancing every aspect of our lives. But what about something we use every day? Our dental practice management software. 
Imagine something rethought from the ground up, designed for intuitiveness, leveraging what's possible in today's technology. Something that optimizes our daily workflows and does what modern dentists need to stay competitive and connected. Principal practice management software is this, intelligent, efficient, and intuitive, because it's 2021 and you can expect something more. Go to principal.dental to learn more. Um, I just want to run through a little bit of a practical exercise here. Dentist preps, mills, tries in the CEREC, and you could run a truck through the margins. Let's troubleshoot. Okay. It doesn't fit. What's going on? First, I would say just check your check your prep. It's probably a prep design. It's probably something not right with the prep. Are the margins are they smooth? Are they is there big changes in in height? You know, we want a nice smooth, you know, a you know, smooth height of margins. We don't want check, big changes in vertical of those margins. So first, I would check on that. Is that what's happening? Is that where? The crown is binding. Is it binding on a margin? Is it binding on um, a wall that is, you know, too parallel? Is it binding on, you know, a um, an edge that hasn't been rounded off? Are you do you, are you having any sort of, you know, any corners, any sort of sharp angles? Um, that's really sort of the number one. I'd say there's probably a problem there. After that, I would say there's probably a um, an issue with the um, contact points. So mesial distal contact points are usually a problem. And quite often I found um, when we're doing the uh, the courses, quite often it's not that, you know, yeah, these, this, the students, the dentists often think that, you know, their, their contact points are actually too tight or, you know, they've, they've overbuilt their contact points. Quite often the problem is actually that the path of insertion of the crown is actually off and actually the the neighboring teeth are convergent and you're never going to get a crown down there so that's quite often what's going on there are you know is, is the path of insertion clear and clean for that crown that would that's really the biggest thing in terms of you know where when you get a tight contact points it's quite often it's not the contact points it's actually the 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 teeth you know, on either side are convergent and the software will want to fill in those gaps because it essentially the software wants to make you happy. The software wants to give you a good fitting crown and fill in everywhere it can possibly see with ceramics. So it will do that. And so it will put it in there, but it doesn't take into account how you actually get it in there. So those are really sort of the, the obvious the obvious things that you would look at really as a beginner. Okay. And if we go to, let's start with that one. The path of insertion is um, where the t- two adjacent teeth might might be tipped in an, a- in an angle such that it's, it's difficult to fit with that nice, even contact point. How often do you modify the contact points of the adjacent teeth before you scan, whether you disc the contact points mm. or upright the teeth? How often are you doing that? Yeah. Very often, to be perfectly honest, I mean, um, quite often in these cases when you're doing, um, you know, these, you know, if a mouth that requires CAD CAM restorations, quite often you've got a um, adjacent teeth are also filled, whether heavily filled or lightly filled, but there's usually a restoration there. That will always be, you know, it could always benefit from getting a polish and actually sort of just changing that, um, 
you know, that path of insertion. So polishing up that, actually flattening the contact point as well will always help. Um, so yeah, look, how often do I do it? Um, I will do it. I'm going to guess probably about 50, 60% of the time um, on a virgin tooth. Not so much. Um, however, you know, it has been done. Um, but no, quite often, with if, if there's a restoration, almost always I'm looking at it and saying, look, is there any way we can flatten that contact so we get a nice broad contact and you know, a good path of insertion? So very, very often I'm doing that. That's really one of my normal routine checks that I'm doing when I'm doing a prep and doing a, any restoration. I mean, really, this this is... And this is actually sort of something interesting uh, we always say is actually that with CEREC, we tend to think that this is CEREC dentistry. No, this is actually dentistry. This is what we should be doing for our technicians. I was lucky enough to work in a practice years ago that had an on-site lab, and I actually made it my business to follow down every single uh, impression that I took and actually take it down to the lab, watch it being poured up, and then say to them, look, honestly, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? What would you like me to do more of, less of? What could I improve on? And very often that they, well, the technicians, technicians always want, they want clean margins. They want space. And then after that, they want nice, broad, flat contacts of adjacent teeth. So really the same goes whether you're sending your impression to your local lab or whether you're doing a CEREC, exactly the same thing is true. Yeah, that is that is actually a really good tip and I didn't think about it like that. You take the impression and then you put it in a bag and yeah. you're like, not my problem. Um, Absolutely. And then you then you blame the lab that um, this thing doesn't fit properly or <laughs> there's a really weird contact and you're going, Oh God, this this lab is rubbish. Can I can I get the name of your lab? Because this is rubbish. <laughs> yeah, look, I think that's just human nature, right? Um, and the other, um, the other common issue that you said is, is um, when you're troubleshooting is when you have either uh, sudden changes in the in the vertical dimension of the preparation, where there's some premature binding internally. What? How do you? Sometimes I think that that's the case where something's binding inside. What do you do then if you know that's the case? Do you adjust the CEREC? Do you go back and adjust the tooth? Or do you not do that either because you're guessing and just go back and prep and rescan? Can you adjust the CEREC sometimes when you think it, it, it's, it's that? How do you know where to adjust? Genuine um, question, Robbie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean, I think if you're getting to the point where you're adjusting um, the fitting surface, I think you're running into trouble there really because the only way – that that is going to change is you're going to be filling that fitting surface or that void with um, with cement, with looting cement of some sort, a bonding agent of some sort, and that's going to cause all sorts of troubles. You know, sensitivity and and you know, a poorly fitting um, restoration. Um, in terms of binding, I mean, yes, you can adjust. I mean, contact points, absolutely. You can you know you can adjust those contact points. You know, slowly disc them, and again, slowly, slowly, slowly disc them till uh, they get into the right position. But if you're getting to the point where you think you might need to actually adjust the prep, at that point, start again. And at that point, reprep, rescan, remill, and that really comes back to why you know when you when you you've blocked off plenty of time, that now doesn't stress you out. You're not now rushing. You're not now in trouble. You've got plenty of time to do that. The biggest thing I think uh, in terms of binding, um, the, the most, of, most common sort of, uh, times that this happens is 
really um, is onlays. Inlays and onlays really cause you know, a lot of trouble because there are so many different line angles to take into account and there's so many points on which a restoration can bind. I had a bit of a light bulb moment when I was um, doing some onlays and realizing you're trying to look at every single line angle and work out exactly where you know where everything could bind, where a possible area of binding is. And actually, it worked out. It's it's very much like we were taught to to do bridges. When we're doing bridges, you look at the tooth that you've prepped, and you look at the next door tooth, and you run that burr. So if you keep your burr upright and you walk across to the next door tooth and you keep it at that angle as well, and then you prep everything and then you look around the side and you keep it at that angle and you keep it at that angle and you watch everywhere you go so that they are parallel preps or at least you know not divergent. The same thing goes when you're prepping a, a box for an inlay as well. There are many different angles within that box. They all need to be divergent and they all need to be so you know you know they all need to be um sympathetic to each other let's call it that you can't get ones every single angle that that thing is that restoration is going to go in needs to take into account every other angle so treat it like a bridge and go around the prep and make sure that all of them all those angles are actually you know divergent you're not seeing any undercuts you're not seeing any areas where there's any possible binding and then once you do that suddenly all your inlays onlays fit perfectly thank you so much for listening to the dental head start podcast i genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist so if you like what you're hearing make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and i want you to do me a favor i want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends that's how the word gets out that's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.